Huskies podcast from UW Dog Pound, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast in the entire internet. We're the official podcast of the Cody Pickett Fan Club. Remember to download, rate, review, subscribe, whatever other verbs are associated with podcasts. And today, as usual, we are joined by Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how are you doing? Hi. I, uh, I'm doing. Well, let's just get right into it. I, you know, I think football-wise, as long as we're talking about the Huskies, there was it, not what we expected to happen over the weekend. Uh, kind of defied every prediction that we made, uh, went against everything that uh, all of the experts predicted. But indeed, Vita Vea scored a touchdown for the Tampa Bay Bucks. So let's talk about that for the next 45 minutes. Yes, absolutely. That is what happened. Nothing else happened. I don't know why you would suggest anything else happened. And that was the highlight of my week, nay, my year. So, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, in in all honesty, it was a nice emotional bounce back of sorts from a miserable Saturday night in Boulder for the Huskies 20-14 loss. Um, I'm starting to get this this weird psychological reflex where I just assume that the games that start are going to end badly. The Stanford game was a late game. Uh, the Cal game was obviously obscenely late. Uh, this game was late. I think last year, uh, there were a couple, the, I guess the Stanford game was late afternoon, not evening, but I just assume going into a late game, particularly on the road, it's going to end very, very badly. The Arizona game was an outlier, but, uh, this one was bad. Yeah. Like the first half of Arizona started off like, like what yeah, Colorado yeah. did. So. Yeah. Uh, and it just didn't get better this time. Well, it got a little bit better, but, it was so bad at the beginning. I think, you know, without referencing any of the statistics, the offense had like negative a million yards in the first half. Everything went backwards. Um, strangely, uh, you know, week to week, we've kind of had different problems. They're, they've been related to each other, but it's like a week or two, we, we can't defend the run. And then somebody throws the ball all over us. And then we have a week where uh, the, the play calling is really questionable. And then Eason becomes really erratic. And this game – without a doubt, was the offensive line week. The, the offensive line just kind of cratered. Uh, is, do you think that's an oversimplification, or was there was that kind of the sum of what you were seeing on Saturday night as the offense couldn't do anything? Uh, I think I think there's other factors for sure. Um, but and, and I think a, a, a lot of us talked about this in the Slack channel, about, per, you know, um, some of the offensive philosophy going on and how maybe that is kind of a crutch. Uh, but yeah, it definitely was. I mean, man, the, it, the offensive line, and this is true against Stanford and, uh, to an extent against Oregon State as well. Um, they, I just, I don't know what to think about that <laughs> because, I mean, call, it cannot be emphasized enough whether you're talking about by the eye test or statistically, like Colorado's defensive front is bad like period there isn't any at least with Stanford there was that sense of like oh they're they're bad they're bad this year 
but at least, you know, it's Stanford, so sometimes they, they can pull something out of their hat and, and get that, get pressure, but like, I mean, I mean, Colorado, if you watch the film of them prior to this game, um, there were, they had zero, they've had zero pass rush. I mean, like, genuinely something where I was looking at this and, and thinking like, okay, this looks like it's going to be similar to BYU's defense, except for they're going to have one less person clogging up the passing lane. Like, that's pretty much how it looked. And, uh, and, and it's so confusing to me watching how inconsistent the offensive line has been over the course of this season, simply because, uh, A, as, when they're bad, or even when they aren't bad, even when they're fine, they're, as collectively as a unit, they're worse than they should be when you add those five individuals up. Um, but then you'll get times like the, you know, against Utah before, before it all went downhill, where the first half against Utah, that line was playing out of their mind against one of the best defensive lines in the country, period. Um, I mean, Utah's defensive line is insane. And the first half of that, was, they were held massively in check. And then to come and lay an egg against Colorado, I, it just, it's just, I, it's kind of one of those, it, it feels to me like the, um, if you're taking a more mentally healthy approach to this as a fan, it feels to me like the embodiment of the upside down smiley face emoji of just like, I don't even know. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and another layer of that strangeness is that it, it, we, I think there have been times when the pass blocking hasn't been as good as I would expect it to be. That mm-hmm. teams have, we haven't picked up blitzes particularly well, and that's been magnified by the fact that Easton struggles so much against heavy pressure. But mm-hmm. even in those games, I, I think early in the Arizona game was true to an extent. Uh, first half of the Oregon State game. That was probably relatively true, although they blitz a lot more. But at least in those games, we could kind of fall back on the running game. And maybe some of this has to do with Jackson Kirkland, who's a very good run blocker, going down early in the game. And Henry Benavalu, uh wasn't particularly – he made a couple mistakes. I don't I don't want to put too much of the blame on him because it really wasn't an entire yeah. offensive failure. Like there, you could pinpoint plays where pretty much every one of the five offensive linemen just completely whiffed on, on a blitz or on just like one-on-one matchup. And, uh, but, it, but that's more, I think maybe more noticeable in the pass, pass, uh, rush, but it was very true as well in the running game. And, and you look at the numbers and Savan Ahmed, who's been, you know, one of the better running backs in the country for most of the year was silent. And, uh, Richard Newton is, has had some better games and some worse games. He couldn't get any space. Neither of them could do anything. And like you said, it's a, a very mediocre defense. Um, I don't know. Did did either of the running backs look better or worse to you, or was it just there was nowhere for them to run? Uh, yeah, no, it really looked like the latter. I mean, Ahmed uh, averaged 2.2 yards per rush. Newton averaged 2.7. Um, and that's uh, – they each had a long of, I think, 9 yards and 11 yards. So you take that away, and it's even worse. Um, like I think if you take that away, I'm pretty sure Ahmed is, he might even be below two yards. And, and then just on the eye test, I mean, you see a lot of just, there's literally nowhere to go. And it's like, even, even if Gaskin was back there with his weird slipperiness of getting hit behind the line and then somehow making it back and gaining a couple, uh, I, I don't even think he would be able to have done anything. I mean, it, um, 
I, I understand. I, I need to, uh, this is one of those games where I need to go watch again just to be able to properly evaluate because it felt in the moment, it looked like they were kind of trying to do a handful of, of zone, uh, which makes sense because on film you saw, I see a decent amount of Colorado's defense giving up some pretty hefty runs. Um, in zone blocking, and and again, if anyone's listening to this and is like, no, they didn't. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm not saying this with any authority because I haven't gone back and rewatched it because it is too depressing. Um, so I could be wrong, but either way, I mean, there's just so much missed everything that I mean, I don't even, I don't, yeah, it really didn't look like there was much that anyone could have done. Whoever was carrying the ball. Yeah, I, I. I... Don't think I, I think that pretty much summarizes most of the offensive uh, failures. I, it, Eason looked a little bit better in the second half. In the first half, he looked broken. Like there was something severely wrong yeah. with him. He did absolutely nothing that worked. Uh, played a little bit better in the second half, but there really weren't. There just weren't enough big plays to get the game turned around. They got back within shouting distance by the end. Obviously, the six point loss, but that's fourteen points is not half as many as they should score against that defense. It's like a third of what they should be scoring against that yeah. defense. Um, you know, the, defensively, uh, the Husky defense was okay. You know, I, I think there were a lot of play, drives where Colorado was able to flip field position, and not to say it would have made that much of a difference, but the offense was starting inside its own 15 fairly often through the game, and there weren't a lot of big plays made by the defense. We talked last week about uh, – Montez's penchant for uh, back-breaking turnovers at the worst possible time and, and sometimes coming in bunches, that didn't happen. I, I was kind of holding out hope early in the second half when the offense was struggling so badly that we get something like in the conference title game last year uh, when Byron Murphy made that pick six that swung the game in our yeah. favor that we might get something like that, like the defense can kind of kickstart the game and do just enough to push it over the line. It, the defense was fine in my mind. Uh, but there weren't any game-changing plays made defensively either. The only real defensive play, I mean, more than anything that sticks out, was uh, Levinska Schnault in the end zone just pulling the ball through another human. Uh, and yeah, he was ridiculous. A video game character. like a Madden glitch. Uh, is that yeah. do you do you see anything different defensively? Is there anybody who really stood out to you that that did look good? Um, I don't think. Um. Yeah, I think when you're talking about, I mean, they, they did definitely, it was kind of like a so-so performance. Um, but then also you look at, I think if you look at a lot of the context that the defense was in, um, I think they were, they were kind of inconsistent a bit on like a drive by drive basis. But then you look at a lot of like circumstantially, a lot of the situations they were in and like a lot of the times they did really well, all things considered. I mean, you know, them being in giving up three points twice in the red zone when, when the Buffs had good field position both times. Um, and then the only other, or and then the Alex Fontenot touchdown. And then that one touchdown where, I mean, it was, yeah, like a Madden physics thing by LaVisca Chenault that like, you can't even be mad at. I was just, I just watched that and was like, well, you know what? They deserve that. Like, like because that is just physics. Uh, the, physics gods going their way um but yeah I think I think like when you look at that one punt near the end of the game I think it might have even been Colorado's last drive where they uh 
were pinned back and like the two yard line or whatever. And then, and then Colorado was able to draw the clock out for like four minutes, uh, and kind of put the, the nail in the coffin. I mean, that's one of those things where if you have a UW defense of years past, that probably doesn't happen. And at least the offense gets one more chance. But I think it kind of was a situation game, the whole game back and forth where like, yeah, the, the offense wouldn't be put in very good field positions. They'd have to dig themselves out of the hole, but then they wouldn't be able to. So they'd put the defense back in a bad position. And it felt kind of like both units were just putting the other in really bad positions. And considering that the defense, considering that they were both in bad positions kind of all night, I thought the defense handled it much better. Um, and, and it kind of played in a way that, um, considering the high variance unit they are and all the youth and blah, blah, they, it looked like they had less crushing weaknesses in the middle than near the beginning of the year. I think that's true. And some of it is personnel driven that we, we saw more, uh, Cam Williams back in the lineup this week, which is a positive statement to his growth because we saw a lot of mistakes from him early or at least some very noticeable ones. And he looked more sound to go with his high end physical talent. Uh, Eddie Olafoshu appears to be kind of a regular at inside yeah. linebacker. And, you know, this is a tough week to say something nice about the coaching staff, but seeing both him and Sermon playing regularly at inside linebacker, even though both of them have weaknesses, I'm very relieved that we didn't just say, ah, let's just roll with Wellington and Manu. They're the older guys. Uh, sure. we'll figure this out next year. That, that is something I think is a common complaint about this coaching staff, that they're too conservative, that they err too much on the side of the big picture and don't look at individual game-by-game uh, game trends. Uh, you could debate whether that's the right thing to do or not, but I think in this case we all saw, oh, God, these inside linebackers are just killing us. We can't stop the run. This is happening week after week. And they did something about it. And not to say that the run defense was phenomenal, but it was – better and most of the uh, problems in the run game were really just Montez shrugging off tacklers and yeah. escaping getting big runs on his own if you take that out the the yards per carry average for Colorado was was nothing special at all and you know over the course of the game I think you would take most of that defensive performance and say that's fine I mean there's a version of this game where they score 20 points and the Huskies win it very comfortably 35 yeah. 20 or 220 or something where, uh, you know, which isn't all that different of a game. It's just a few, uh, you know, drives where instead of breaking down on third and short or just getting stuffed, that we're able to continue the drive and, and execute a little bit better, and it just didn't happen that way. So like you said, I, I totally agree. It's not all one or all the other offensive or defensive, but they both put themselves in holes, and the defense dug themselves out a little more often, and that's why the game was closer than – it actually could have been, which is terrifying. Yeah, and can I also say for um, you may. yeah, no, shut up. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I, I I kind of wonder if um, Colorado saw the Stanford game as a blueprint because both of those. I don't know exactly the amount of possessions that each uh, that each team had for both those games, but the one thing that I think Stanford did really well. Uh, when they beat UW and that Colorado didn't like fully replicate, but kind of had the same thing going on was just kind of these really slow, take your time, old drive, like old school style drives of like really just wearing it down and like, and using up that, that clock. And then knowing that once UW's offense can't get in, 
a rhythm, giving them as, as few reps as possible and kind of forcing them to press. Um, and I think that that really is, especially when, when Washington's offense is kind of in its own head um, and considering, you know, all things considered, I thought it was you have to give credit to Colorado there in the same way you have to give Stanford credit there of taking full advantage and totally exploiting um, UW's weakness in that regard. Because it felt like, you know, if they had played a little faster, given Washington maybe a couple more possessions to go along with their own couple more possessions, but, like, you know, I think Colorado still probably wins because the dogs looked, like you said, they just looked broken. Uh, but I think it's worth noting that they they do deserve a bit of credit for playing the game smart and having a smart philosophy entering it. And then UW just, it wasn't 100% a UW implosion. It was mostly a UW implosion. But, uh, you know, a little bit of credit to Colorado and a little bit of credit to Stanford for doing all they can and pulling out wins in those scenarios. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's basically a football version of the Princeton offense in basketball, which yeah. is like an underdog strategy. I, I think it sometimes gets misconstrued, but it's supposed to do two things. One is to limit the number of possessions, which increases variance, because a, a, mm-hmm. the, the more possessions there are in a game, the more often the more talented or, or big-picture better team will eventually win out in the end. You have more chances of a you know, point coming up heads every time if you flip it three times than if you do 20. Uh, and it also, I think the part that gets lost sometimes is that it just forces the team to do something they're not comfortable with. And that, I think that's what you're getting at there, which is that Colorado kind of dragging the game out, playing slowly, uh, forced our offense to press a little bit more than they would like to, especially when things didn't go well out of the gates. And they kind of just said, you know, if you can get to 21, you're going to win this game, but we don't think you can. And they were they were right about that in the end. Uh, one more question before we move on from this game. We saw the statistic put on the screen, or I guess not a statistic, but the prognostication throughout the game that uh, pro football focus or somebody had Jacob said rated as the number five pro prospect draft eligible quarterback in the country. Where is your head right now regarding Eason going pro versus coming back? Is it advisable for him? How should the, the, the fans of the team be looking at that right now? Um, obviously, it's hard to answer this without any bias uh, since, we're, since we're both Washington fans. But I feel um, I have a similar feeling to him that I had to Sam Darnold when he came out after his uh, redshirt sophomore year. Um, not obviously not in their abilities as players even remotely. And I think Sam Darnold, it looks like he might be slowly proving me wrong. It's um, funny you say that right now after Darnold played his first yeah. great game this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was feeling this about Darnold at the time and I feel this very much about Eason where based on, based on Eason's physical abilities, um, and, you know, other stuff as well, um, based on his tangibles um, and the fact that he had for much of the season until, you know, the last while had played often quite well. I mean, against Oregon, he was clearly the better quarterback between mm-hmm. Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason. I mean, it was pretty clear. Um, but it was a favorite with Jaden Daniels, future number one overall pick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that was a great game. I just, just watched some of that. Um what was I saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, so based on how, how a lot of his performance has been, 
um, even though it's been inconsistent, uh, and his tangibles, and the fact that, frankly, he fits exactly in the mold of the kind of quarterback that NFL GMs, um, stereotypically John Elway is, like, the, the stereotypical GM in this regard, that they tend to overvalue, which is, like, tall, white, can throw at 80 yards over them mountains. Uh, and so, obviously, he could go pretty high now just based on how he has looked at his height and his tangible abilities and what he looks like. Um, so, yeah, he could probably go get a, a few million dollars right now. Um, but, I mean, if you look at his development and if he wants to make a significant long um, NFL career, I think coming back, the last, the way that he's played the last month or so and the inconsistency that he, you know, is the ups and downs he's had over the course of the year. Um, and the fact that you can pinpoint a handful of clear weaknesses, for example, you know, doesn't necessarily stand, step up in the pocket super great, uh, can get kind of, you know, uh, not happy feet, I guess kind of happy feet, but can, can press sometimes like we saw this weekend. Um, I think, huh? Skinny feet. Yeah. 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 Um, I think pretty clearly a year, one extra year of college for Jacob Easton's development has the potential to go a really, really long way just as far as the skill set that he would then gain or improve or hone or whatever you want to call it. Um, going into an NFL career um, and his ability to also improve his draft stock based on more than just his tangibles uh, and what he looks like. Because I, I think if he comes into next year and then plays, you know, improves on those few things that he, uh, you know, has shown, has shown uh, weaknesses in and considering that the, the Washington's offense should have, more weapons to to go around next year, which inherently benefits him and makes him look better for evaluators. Um, If he works on the little weaknesses he has, and then, you know, the whole offense, the offense as a whole, theoretically gets a bit better next year. I mean, one, it'll be better for his long-term development as a quarterback in the NFL and will probably increase the longevity of his career, but also it would likely, I think, turn him into a, you know, maybe a maybe a number one uh, quarterback in the draft. I mean, he certainly looks the part, and then if he becomes more complete of a player, I mean, that's going to get you another few million dollars and then a couple more contracts down the way. You know, if you're looking at a, an NFL career like, I don't know, say Hackenberg, who, sure, he gets his money a year early, but – I think he was an early second round pick or mid second round pick, but then it's out of the league in two years. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of hard. I, I, I don't, you know, I've never been in that position, so I don't know what it looks like to feel like the NFL is right there calling and you can get your money then. Um, but you look at a two year, three year career versus, you know, taking an extra year, becoming a better all around quarterback and then building a, a decade-long career I mean it you know it takes a little patience but who knows <laughs> that's I mean that's what I would yeah tell him if, if I were pitching it 
It's interesting that he also has a tenured NFL starting quarterback in his family, which would probably change the calculus somewhat, not only from the financial standpoint, but also from the, like, the... Uh, you're thinking of... You are making the mistake, I believe, of thinking his dad is the quarterback Tony Eason. His dad was a receiver who I don't believe played in the NFL. I think he just went straight from college to life. I thought the other Tony Eason was like a, a, an uncle of his. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that. Oh, I don't think so. Oh, I just thought well, that was a receiver at Notre Dame. Either way. We'll have to find out later. Anyway, well, anyway, what I wanted to say kind of piggybacking off of your comment is that I think the weaknesses that he has are interesting because they're particularly hard to figure out if it's something that's fixable. Like, we watched Jake Locker. It didn't take that much observation. I mean, I guess some, at least one NFL front office felt differently about this. But, I, you know, by the time he left UW, it was very clear to me that this was not somebody who could understand the complexities of even good college defenses and how to read not just the things like going through your progressions and looking at different receivers, but understanding, like, if I send this guy in motion and this defensive back drops back, that means that there's going to be a pocket in this part of the zone and I should look there first. Like, he never did that, and he was never going to be able to do that. Uh, this doesn't make him a bad person. It means he was never going to be a good NFL quarterback, uh, no matter how fast he ran, how far he could throw, no matter how thick his neck was, whatever else. Um, <laughs> With Eason, you mentioned it's it's kind of this rapid fire decision making. It's when he gets under pressure, uh, he will you know go down too easily. He'll spin away from the pressure. He'll force the ball into a tight window. He'll uh, fail to make the right progressions or the right reads. And it's always things that are happening in really quick succession. Where he has to make a very fast decision on, uh, under a lot of pressure. Is he failing in those situations because he hasn't had enough reps in? against good defenses with this team in this offense or something along those lines? Or is he failing in those circumstances because he's not the kind of person who will process information in that way effectively? Uh, and and it's a really hard question to answer. It, maybe there are some NFL talent evaluators who are uh, expert enough to parse that out. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of the thing that has made Tom Brady the one of the greatest football players who's ever lived because – doesn't throw the ball the farthest, doesn't run very well. You could go down the list, but I think his ability to make the right decision with minimal amount of time to make the decision has made him unbelievably good. I don't know if that's something Easton can learn or not. I'm interested to find out. I'd certainly be happy to have him back for another year, particularly given the alternatives uh, with so much youth and inexperience in our offense. I'd like to have him back to see if he can develop that. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I would be, just from a, like a scholastic standpoint, I think it would be interesting to see him test that out and see which way it goes. But I think the Hackenberg comp is interesting because he is kind of in that uh, group where it's like, here's an all right college quarterback, kind of projectable. Maybe he can turn into something in the NFL. And those guys almost always just turn into like backups who wash out after like one and a half contracts. Yeah. And I think Hackenberg is obviously like such an extreme because he pretty – he pretty instantly it became apparent that oh you're not like you're not <laughs> gonna make it here. I mean I I don't what he was in the what was the AAF or whatever and and had some some yeah. terrible games there and it it you know but I mean so obviously I don't I don't think Eason would yeah I don't think if he left for the draft I don't think he would be even close to that. Um, 
but yeah, I think when you're for really young people in general, whether it's in athletics or picketing, I mean, one year or one unit, whatever you want to call it, of that extra development, even if you're delaying something that in the end is the end goal, I think the marginal utility of um, coming back when there's clearly something to work on, um, for example, stepping up his pocket, blah, 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 uh, you know, all the, the weaknesses he's shown. Um, I think the, the marginal value of him doing that, even though he has to put off the NFL for a year, uh, is quite a bit wh- whether or not he capitalizes on that and, you know, improves those skills. Um because he's probably not going to go – his value probably wouldn't go down unless he, you know, his brain breaks <laughs> and he just becomes the Colorado game all year next year. But, I mean, I don't think there's enough evidence to to, to uh, make us assume that would be the new normal, um, even though it's happened a couple times. Um, but there are so many other factors happening in, in those circumstances for him that, like, who knows how he would, would have played another – you know, in other more favorable ones. Um, yeah. Poof. Lots of words. So you're right that there is no relation to the other Tony Eason. So we'll <laughs> scratch that. And I've somehow gone like four years of knowing who Jacob Eason was and being wrong about that. But I guess it is extra confusing with a Tony yeah. Eason as father. Anyway. I think, uh, I think a lot of people make yeah. that. I think a lot of people make that mistake. I remember every once in a while seeing Georgia people being like, his dad was a quarterback, and then other Georgia people being like, no, he wasn't. And they were like, oh, my God, I didn't know. I don't know why that's my uh, accent for Internet message or Internet, like, college football forums. Uh, I should probably pick a pick one that makes more sense. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people make that mistake. Uh, so we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to try to sell you some stuff, but the good news is even if you don't buy any of it, we'll still come back and we'll talk about the Apple Cup on the other side. So wait it out, or if you have to press that skip 30-second button three times, we'll be back on the other side. So welcome back. We can put the Colorado game in the rearview mirror and look ahead to the Apple Cup, which is just a couple short days away as customary on a Friday afternoon this year in Seattle, coming back from the atrocious, horrible snow game that taught all of the residents of Pullman that there's such a thing as snow in eastern Washington. This year, uh, neither team coming into it looking great. I guess if you had to choose one or the other, Washington State probably has a little bit more momentum by virtue of winning a high-scoring basketball game, 54-53, against Oregon State last week uh, with a Max Borgie touchdown with no time on the clock, which is a pretty cool way to end a game. Huskies are favored by six and a half. You know the drill. It's been Five years of Leach versus Peterson, and Peterson has kind of pulled Mike Leach's pants down and give him a bare-bottom spanking all five times. What do you think? Is there a reason to think it's going to look different this time? Is Anthony Gordon different in a good way from Luke Falk and uh, Gardner Minshew and the other quarterbacks that WSU has run out there? What are you thinking going into this one? Oh, man. I here. I mean, the, my one – I have a couple – consolation things in the back of my mind the first is that i've been nervous about it every year forever um like that for the last three years you were nervous about it every year every year i'm like oh this might be the year that wazoo uh but this year might actually be the year (laughs) Um, there's always some reason like they all got these fake mustaches it's really scary yeah yeah and 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 but you know 
here's the thing. If you had asked me this after Oregon and Utah, I would be like, oh, UW for sure. Like, not ironically, even though they lost both of those games, um, seeing the, you know, seeing the offense perform at a, I mean, relative, they're two quite good defenses. In Utah's case, very good defenses. Uh, and, and UW's offense, like, kind of did way better than anyone was expecting and did way better against those defenses than anyone had really done up to that point against them. So if you had asked me then, I would have been like, yeah, UW, uh, 42 to, I don't know, 17. And then the last three weeks have happened, and I am all up in my head, and I don't know anything, (laughs) Uh, and I hate it. Uh, I want to say 21-20. Uh, I'm so like so PTSD by the Oregon State and Colorado games by this offense, especially that Wazoo's defense in a lot of ways reminds me a lot of Colorado's defense in that they're pretty mediocre. They don't get much push. Uh, similarly, they have a uh, leading tackler. Obviously, you know it's almost always middle linebacker uh, and Jihad Woods for. Uh, Wazoo is right around, he's right behind Nate Landman, uh, for like national tackles, whatever the thing is. Uh, and I, I'm like, if, 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 if I'm thinking if Utah was unable to do anything, whether it was Pete's, Chris Peterson's philosophy or the offensive line or whatever, or Eason, you know, being a little bit off against Oregon and Colorado, then what? I mean, that's that's not a huge sample size, but it is two and two out of two. <laughs> and and on one hand, we've seen them do the second half against Arizona, and we've seen them against Oregon and Utah, and all that. But I mean, the most recent, you know, I mean, part of it's recency bias, but I mean. Recency bias exists for a reason in sports, and so I'm just freaked out about the offense's ability to do anything. I think I think they could score anywhere from 20 to 45 points, and I would yeah. not be shocked. Well, <laughs> and the Arizona game came after the Stanford game, so like yeah. it, it, neither the Huskies nor the team, or the mediocre teams that have beaten them, have shown much stickiness in that result. Like that has not really started a trend. Like we lost to Cal, and then Cal went into a tailspin. We mm-hmm. lost to. Stanford, and then bounced back from that while Stanford did not at all. And what remains to be seen what happens with Colorado and and the Huskies coming out of that game. I I think, you know, Jimmy Lake made headlines last year because he said a bunch of disparaging things about Mike Leach and the air raid offense, about how they never make adjustments. We know exactly what's coming, so we just game plan for that, and then they don't do anything else, so it's really easy to, you know, come up with a, a, a game plan to stop one specific thing, which, you know, some of that is the talent the Huskies have had, but the talent they've had, while they've always had very strong secondaries during Peterson's tenure, uh, it has been different sorts of talent. Uh, you know, they've been cornerbacks who are better in zone, cornerbacks who are better in man. There have been defensive lines that get a lot of pressure and those that don't. There have been linebackers who are better at blitzing, linebackers who kind of cover space. There have been secondaries that are dominated by safeties, secondaries that are dominated by more traditional cornerbacks. I don't think this year's defense is – I don't know if it's the worst of the five, but it's probably in the bottom two uh, in the time, or of the six after this year. Uh, but I, I still think the 
the sample that we've seen over those five games, 19 to 6 turnover ratio, uh, 190 to 69 cumulative score. Uh, and, and, and every game, it's, it's like every year we play Washington State and have our best running game of the year. For some reason, that's the one time when Peterson's fully committed to just grinding the ball out on the ground. Uh, other than that one year that, that Browning had one of the best games of his career against WSU, it's been year after year just run the ball down their throats. And I think over his career, Gaskin and, and Luke Falk lined up almost perfectly. And I think Gaskin had more rushing yards than Falk had passing yards in Apple Cups and way more touchdowns. So it's, it's a preposterous matchup over the last five years. I, I, I'm, I'm with you all the way. I think there's an emotional reason to be a little bit more scared naturally in a matchup like this because Washington State has a lot more to gain by beating UW just uh, like in, in a power dynamic uh, world that, that they're kind of the, the little brother. And, and so when they win, it means more. It's like we're supposed to win. So it's just kind of holding serve, stays true to form, doesn't really mean a lot. But when they win, it's a really big deal which is why, like, all nine times that it's ever happened have caused such jubilation, and they keep coming back and playing the game every year. But at the same time, until, like, I see that Leach actually can, they've scored 50, fewer than 50% of their season average for points every time they played the Huskies in Leach's tenure. I have to see that change before I would pick them. I just love, like, I feel like of our riders, you're kind of the happy-go-lucky one. That was the meanest thing I've ever <laughs> heard you say, write, think. As far as I know, tweet. Uh, that was. I really hope no no Coug fans are listening to this because uh, they they oh man they are gonna latch on to that and murder you. I but, mean, uh, <laughs> some of it was insulting. The like diminishing how many games they've won. But the fact is, it's a much smaller school. It's in a much smaller town. They have way fewer resources. They have way less historical success. I'm not saying any of that to belittle them. I think it kind of speaks for itself in that regard, but I'm saying it to explain why there's yeah. probably more riding on the game emotionally and why I think you and I agree that we're kind of our fear of the game is kind of larger than uh, it's a little out of proportion with what the matchup actually looks like year to year. Yeah. Yeah, no, to yeah, to to clarify, I, I like from an objective standpoint of Historic success, resources available, etc. Blah blah blah. Like you're, you're totally right. It was just I've never, I've never seen you so blatantly uh, disrespect any one thing, a- any animal, living, dead. I don't know. Uh, so that was fun. <laughs> but well, it's, I have a friend who says uh, we talk about like who do you dislike more, Oregon or Washington State? And he says, oh, I don't want anybody to ever benefit from choosing to go to Washington State. <laughs> I think it's a great line. I saw some kids at a frozen yogurt place this week. They were like range age ranges like eight to twelve or something, uh, and they're all wearing like decked out head to toe in cougar gear. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I sure they were there with parents, and I get it. Like I'm sure their parents were WSU grads, uh, and that's why they're wearing this stuff. But I, I'm just thinking to myself, like you're living in Seattle, you're not old enough to have had to go to Wazoo, like, you still have a chance to get into UW. Like, why are you already <laughs> giving up? This, I like being Andrew. This is the, this is the, this is fun. I'm enjoying this a lot. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely, just to, like, if we're going on the emotional relationship with Wazoo thing, like, I grew up uh, in elementary school during Apple Cup week. It was 
me and, and these two other girls who they were grew up Wazoo fans. So we would always uh, banter, I suppose, whatever the nine year old version of banter is, uh, and get heated. And then I, and then kind of as I got older, I, I stopped caring so much. And then I moved to Canada where there weren't Wazoo people really, you know, uh, and, and because Oregon, and Oregon was kind of in national relevance right around then. And then they, until they really weren't. And so then I started hating Oregon and I kind of forgot that I hated Wazoo. And then I, when I moved back to Washington and like had to spend a couple, I spent, I think the 2017 Apple Cup with, I think I was with like two thirds Wazoo people, one third Huskies. And then it just all came crashing back of remembering like, oh, I hate all of you <laughs> and your Napoleon little man syndrome and your weird persecution complex. And like, it, it, I felt, I, it felt like the Regina George, like, why are you so obsessed with me? Um, yeah, but oh my God, it all just came crashing back. And, and since then, like, I, I hate Oregon. Uh, and you know, from, I've worked, I've worked there for a decent amount. Uh, and I hate them, but there's just something about the, that wazoo, like, yeah, that persecution complex and little man syndrome and weird, and, and also the fact for me and my experience that so many people who I went to high school with, et cetera, were like these upper middle, upper middle class suburban, pretty rich kids who then would go to Pullman and be like, I'm country, bro. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> like, I'm more country than you. I grew up in a forest. Suck it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how we got on the, how did we get on this topic? Uh, I think I was just complaining about. Okay, let's just complaining about Wazoo threat. Get nice okay. things. Yeah. If any of you are listening to this, I don't hate you personally. Unless you're digging that I do. Yeah, I have to meet first, right? Uh, yeah. No, just kidding. This is this is a challenge. I'm putting my mind in the sand. All right, let's. Uh, I think we our hard hitting analysis out of the way. Uh, let's wrap up. Uh, not hold everyone, detain everyone for too long on a holiday week. Uh, do you have any quick recommendations or plugs before we get out of here? This is particularly a good week to find something on Netflix or Hulu or whatever to force your extended family to watch with you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that much about it, but I am going to double. I plugged this last week, and I'm going to plug it again, um, that if you're in Whatcom County, I guess Whatcom County or British Columbia, you could you could probably make it up there if you're in Skagit County too. Uh, that after the Apple Cup, drive on up to Vancouver for the 10 o'clock show at Little Mountain Gallery, uh, where the comedian and friend of mine, uh, Randy Newmeyer, is recording her first album uh, with I think with 604 Records. Uh, Little Mountain Gallery, which I believe is on Main Street and 23rd or something around there, um, and. And uh, you won't regret it. It's she's one of the funniest people I've ever seen, heard, whatever. Um, so yeah, do that after the apple cup. Either go celebrate by laughing and being like ha 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 ha. I enjoy everything. This is a great nightcap. Or uh, cheer yourself up by laughing. Ha 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 ha. I'm sad. Was sad. Now I'm happy. Depending on the result of the cup. Apple. That's my plug. Um, 
I watched Ford versus Ferrari last week. It was okay. I mean, if you're really into cars, it's cool. Like this, it's fun to watch cars go like really fast on a big screen. Um, I know that's really deep, but uh, movie was kind of two and a half hour long movie that wasn't really didn't really need to be two and a half hours long. Go see it if you love cars. Otherwise, probably don't because it's not going to be that cool to watch on TV either. Uh, with, because you're not going to get the awesome, like, uh, big screen, giant test car, uh, track laps, whatever. Uh, but I'm very excited over the next several days to watch The Irishman on Netflix. It's three and a half hours long, the new Scorsese movie. I know everybody, this isn't like a, a revolutionary thing. Everybody's heard of this already. But I will say, I, I looked this up today and it took a little bit of, uh, research. Uh, it's a very minor spoiler. But I found out that there's a natural point in the movie to take your own intermission. So if you want to split it up over two days, just past the hour and a half mark, a character gets arrested. And apparently you can stop the movie there and pick it up the next day and watch like the last hour and 50 minutes. And it's like two movies that both work pretty well on their own. So that's that's my plug is to take a break in the middle of watching The Irishman. Oh, I thought you were going to say take a break in the middle of watching The Apple Cup. And I'm like, oh, that you're going to cram a lot into that. Oh, no. You have uh, to think where you, like, turn it up to 8x speed and not understand anything. That would suck. Don't do that. Do not, if you're listening to this, don't, just don't. The ads. All right, so I think that pretty much does it. Have a great holiday week. We didn't talk about Cody Pickett at all on this podcast, but if ever there was a time uh, that Cody Pickett would, would improve the, the stake of the Husky, Huskies, uh, improve our moods. I think this would be it, but we're getting so close to the end of the season. We're going to need some content. Uh, so I think this would be the best time to just kind of put out into the world that we would love to hear from Cody Pickett. Yeah, Cody. I can't believe so, that there's a grown man named Cody. It's always seems like a, yeah. You know what? Actually, you know what? I, I, I just realized I, it's like a kid's name in my mind because Cody Pickett was at one point a child. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's how we're in eight, 18, 19-year-old quarterback. You know what, Rob? Uh, you just fade us out. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else we can say about names that we haven't already said. So I think we'll just leave it at that. And thanks for listening. And we'll talk again next week after we're celebrating a raucous Apple Cup victory. Stop jinxing it. But also, yes, what he said. Bye. Man, grown men in code. What's even weirder than that? Grown I don't think it's really weird. Um, the strangest baby name is Terry. Like, if you name a baby, male or female, Terry. Uh, it's yeah. preposterous to hear of a baby named Terry. Or Brian. Have you ever met yeah. an infant named Brian? I think Someone it's weird has. when an adult keeps going by Tommy. Like, that one's Cody. You, you don't have, like, a, a full name to fall back on. There's no, yeah. like, Woodward or, you know, Cody of, uh, Cody, 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 yeah. Would it disappoint Uh, you guys to know that I have uncles named Brian and Terry?
Oh my God, no, that's amazing. That's incredible. 